0: We're continuing our series today on the book of James. Uh, We have a couple of weeks left. And uh, as always, I wanna encourage you, get caught up. Go back and listen to the podcast. You can listen on our website. You can watch the video on our website or uh, you can get caught up on iTunes. Uh, But we would love for you to to get caught up with what's going on so you have the full context of what we're talking through and what we're talking about. Um, uh, Book of James is, uh, well, we're, we're wrapping it up. Like I said, week after next. You know what, I had a, a panicky moment. I didn't tell the story in the other services. This is bonus coverage. <laughs> yesterday, so I lay my sermons out, sometimes a year in advance. Like we'll we'll start putting them in place and that way it helps us get ahead. And so um, so I had planned my the, the message and we had laid it out. And yesterday, I was at the church early and I looked and I realized uh, the message that I had laid out was... It, it wasn't the right one um, for the day that we were supposed to be on with James. So I was gonna cover James chapter five, verses one through 12, and I realized I was only supposed to do one through six. So I had a moment yesterday where I was like, (gasps) like, oh my gosh, I spent hours planning and now we're the wrong thing. So we had to rework it a little bit. And it was also, I was also a little panicked because to be perfectly honest with you, James chapter five, verse one through six is a really challenging passage of scripture. It's not easy. It's not easy to listen to. It's not easy to preach. And so I was gonna kind of gloss over some of it uh, so that I could get to the the end of the passage. Then, But then when I saw, oh no, I gotta cover that part next week, I was like, all right, God, I'll cover the hard stuff this week. That's fine. Uh, But I was looking for a way out if I could. And I'll say this for the record as well. Um, I did the giving portion before the preaching on purpose because I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. We're gonna talk some today about Um, About generosity. We're gonna talk some today about our hearts. We're gonna talk some today about money and and, um, and our stuff. And so I know that makes people uncomfortable already. You're like, oh, like you're hanging on a little tighter. That's okay. Buckle up. It's gonna be good. I promise. But I'm just giving you a warning. We're gonna talk through some of this stuff, but it has nothing to do with trying to manipulate you to give. It has everything to do with, um, I want you to hear God's heart for you and what God really wants from you. It's not about your money, it's about your heart. So that's what we're gonna talk through today. So I'm gonna start in James chapter five, verse one. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn over there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can look at the screen. The scripture will be up there. And it says in verse one, this is James talking to the church. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, can you just tell right now that you're already encouraged and blessed? Like, you're like, yes, I just feel. Like, we can stop right now, Mel, I'm good. I could walk out of here and feeling encouraged, kicking up my heels, whistling a happy tune. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Verse two, it says, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and your corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now you understand why I was trying to skip some of this, right? This is not an easy passage. And you look at this and you feel like you're off the hook, don't you? Because you go, well, that's talking to rich people Mel. Like look around here, we're in Indiana County, right? Like there's not a lot of rich people around here. So clearly it's not talking to us and clearly it's not talking to me because like we're barely making ends meet. We're, We're working paycheck to paycheck here. We're just barely making it. So this is not talking about me, right? But this is the thing. When we look globally at humanity, we have to understand that even the poorest people in Indiana County are statistically some of the wealthiest people in the world. You're like, that, that's, that, that hurts a little, Mel. I don't like hearing that, well, I understand. Um, I, don't, I don't like preaching it a whole lot either. It's challenging at times. But if you look at the world we live in today, uh, over a third of the world, over two billion people on planet Earth live every day on less than $2. Every day, they're trying to eke out a living on less than $2. Um, Statistically, if you have two uh, two cars in your household, you're in the top 1% of wealthiest people in the world. So do you feel rich? No, probably not. But I got good news, you're rich. The bad news is this message is for you today. So good news, bad news. This is the thing though. Um, the thing that the church was struggling with, one of the things was you had wealthy people and you had poor people. And there was this division between the two because uh, there was a, very much a dichotomy of this, this haves and the have-nots or the have-nots. And this is the thing we have to look at. Um, in this room, we are all haves because we've been blessed. God has blessed you. God has blessed me in so many ways, it's crazy. And there are times I I think, man, my life would be better if I had this or man, my life would be easier if I just did that or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, God has blessed us in huge ways and we should be really grateful for that. One of the ways he's blessed us is we were born in the United States. For the most part, we were born here into a nation with lots of opportunity and lots of chances to get ahead and to grow. Um, when we talk about billions of people worldwide that live on less than $2 a day, it's hard for them to get ahead, but we've been blessed. And so it's not about um, dropping the hammer on you or trying to make you feel bad today. That is not what this is about because the Bible doesn't condemn us having things. I make jokes sometimes from stage about speedboats. Have you ever heard me talk about, you know, God, you've been praying for a speedboat and sometimes speedboat get a bad, uh, a bad reputation, but you know what? It's okay if you have a speedboat. That's all right. But what God doesn't want and what the Bible condemns is when our heart is focused on stuff, like when we say, man, I gotta have a speedboat in my life. My life would be complete if I just had a boat. My life would be complete if I just had that big house. My life would be complete if I just... See, the Bible doesn't have a problem with us having stuff. The Bible has a problem with stuff having us. And that's the problem. It's, it's all about our focus, it's all about our devotion. Where is our heart focused? And what are we pursuing in our lives? That's really what this is about today. And this is something I wanna make clear from the very start. God doesn't bless us to make us comfortable. He blesses us so that we can help advance his agenda and his kingdom on planet Earth. I knew that would be popular. I knew like you're shouting me down, amens almost. Um, but, but God is not in the business of just making us happy. That's not what this is about. God is in the business of seeing people changed for his glory, About rescuing lost people and helping, uh, and helping people who have been rescued to grow in their faith. That's what this is all about. When we look at this passage, he, he addresses the rich people. He says, come now, you rich. And then he goes on to say, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And, and again, this is a really depressing passage of scripture. But what he's trying to say is when, when we focus our heart and our attention on simply accumulating stuff and getting more things, the end result would break our heart if we really saw it. If we could step out of ourselves and see where we were heading and see where our, our, our road and our path was taking us, he said you would wail and mourn. In fact, the Greek word that they use here, actually, if it's a little translation, is translated as shriek. We would shriek if we could see where our heart is taking us because that's what happens with a selfish heart and a selfish desire. It takes us to a place of destruction. It takes us to a place of emptiness. And James is telling the church, if you realized how destructive this was, if you realized the path you were on, if you realized how selfish you're being, you would, you would mourn and you would grieve because of what's going on. And so this is what James is doing. He, again, he's, he's talking to the church and he says, take a step outside of yourself and look at where you're at. And realize the path you're on is a path that ultimately leads to destruction. Um, if we look at these verses, there there are three main sources of wealth in uh, in ancient the ancient Far East and Middle East, and even to some degree today. Uh, and I want to walk through those with you. So again, in James five two, it says, "Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten." It says, "Your riches have rotted." When it talks about riches here, it's it's talking about um, Grain or harvests. Um, one of the divisions in the church was between wealthy landowners and people who were day laborers. And uh, these wealthy landowners, what they would do is they would they would plant and then they would harvest and they would take their harvest and they would put their harvest in big barns or silos and they would protect what they had. And the good thing was they could store up. And if there was a famine or if there was a drought in the land, they were protected. They were insured against that because they would have something to eat. But not only that, they could take their reserves and sell it at a high profit. So they could make a lot of money even in bad times. And so the danger in that is that sometimes when we think we don't have anything to worry about, our relationship with God wanes. We don't Focus on it as much when things are good, if we're going to be honest. When things are good, sometimes we kind of keep God at arm's length. Our church attendance goes down. We stop going to, to small groups. We stop engaging in godly community because eh, things are good. We're coasting. And then when tragedy strikes, when things start going bad, that's when we press into God. In, I'm probably the only one that does that. You people are all very stable in your walk with Christ, right? All the time. But we do this, this is human nature. We see it in scripture over and over, but it's common for us as well. And so the danger for us is when we get so comfortable in what we've accumulated that we we forget that everything we accumulate ultimately is very temporary. I read a story this last week about the nation of India, uh, the interesting thing about the story was that the nation of India is one of the most populous nations in the world. They have population issues. There's so many people. And one of the issues they have is that they have a hard time feeding all the people in their country. So there's, there's problems with malnourishment. In fact, the problems are so severe that about 3,000 children per day in India die of malnourishment. They die simply they don't have, because they don't have enough food. Now, this is what happened a few years ago. They began efforts in India to improve the yield on their harvest. So they began using different different techniques and different strategies, and the yield on their harvest skyrocketed. But the problem was the facilities that they had to store their harvest were inadequate. And as a result, they weren't feeding people, they were feeding insects and rodents and funguses were growing in these uh, facilities and ultimately all the grains were being degraded to the point they were unusable for consumption. And this last year, the the Indian government estimates that about 1.5 billion with a B dollars worth of grain was lost. Now think about all the work that went into uh, planting and harvesting 1.5 billion dollars worth of grain. Think about the man hours. Think about the people that were working. Think about um, everything they did to get that harvest and then they flushed it down the stool. Now think about the 3,000 children a day that were dying that could have been helped with that grain that was harvested, but ultimately it wasn't used for that. And it's a tragedy, really. In the same way we look at that and we're heartbroken, James says, you know what? when we store up and expect that to be our source and our hope, that's as heartbroken as we should be because we should realize that it's all a waste, it's all for naught. If that's where we place our hope and what we can accumulate and what we can build up, if that's where we place our hope, we're gonna be sorely disappointed. He says, your riches have rotted. He goes on to say, your garments are moth-eaten. Um. In ancient times, garments were a status of high society. Even today, in, in many ways, I don't care a thing about fashion. you probably, it's probably shocked to hear that because you look at me and think, wow, he's a fashionista, if ever there was one, right? Um, but I don't care about that stuff, but it still is a status symbol for a lot of people today even. But in ancient times, um, it was a big deal because it was hard to find certain colors and fabrics and things like that. In fact, there was a woman mentioned in the book of Acts. Her name was Lydia, and um, and she converted to Christianity because of an encounter she had with the Apostle Paul. But uh, the Bible describes Lydia as a dealer of purple. <clears throat> and so what she did was she was a garment salesman. She was a dealer in, in clothing, and she, she did high-end clothing. She was very wealthy. Um, because she wasn't dealing with the stuff that you make at home. She was dealing with exotic fabrics and colors and things that you couldn't normally get. And it was a status symbol. And we see throughout scripture, uh, it talks about and refers to garments, it refers to our clothing or apparel, things like that. And we see that there was was an issue of status that came along with that. And it's no wonder that James says, your garments are moth-eaten. Because this is the thing, it doesn't matter how much your outfit cost you. It does not matter how much it's worth. It doesn't matter the name on the label, none of those things matter. It doesn't even matter if you're buried in that outfit. Do you know why? Because at the end of the day, it's moth food. Oh sure, it might look nice and shiny and pretty, that's great. But if that's where our focus is, we're in trouble because it's very, very, very temporary. Some of the guys in the room are getting excited because you're gonna bring this point up later with your wife, right? She says, honey, I'm gonna go do some shopping. he's like, Pastor Mel said it's all moth-eaten anyway, so just make your clothes at home, right? That's not what I'm saying. I don't wanna get in trouble. But what are we saying? Well, it's very temporary. So if that's where our focus is, if that's where our heart is, if that's what our desire is, if that's where our devotion is taking us, we're in trouble because that is a very temporary thing. And if that's where we're putting our hope, we're ultimately gonna be disappointed. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about the division between the way the, way the world thinks and the way the church thinks, or the God thinks. And, and this is a theme we see throughout the book of James, that James is saying, don't think like the world thinks, think like God thinks. Align yourself with the way the Lord thinks and you're gonna be much better off instead of just traveling the same path that the world travels. And and, and Jesus reaffirms that in Matthew chapter six. Um, he, he said, don't think like the world thinks. He says, don't, don't ask yourself questions like, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He said, that's the way the world thinks. Don't be worried about that kind of stuff. Worry yourself or think about the things that are eternal, the things that really matter in this life. The next part we're gonna look at is gold. And by the way, I'm not the pastor that has to have three points and they all have to have the same letter, like alliteration for each point. It just happened that way. So when I say garments and grain and gold, I didn't do that on purpose, I promise. It just happened like that in scripture. You can blame scripture, okay? Um, So in James chapter five, verse three, it says, your gold and silver silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's powerful, isn't it? That's that's scary almost, isn't it? Because you hear that and it's like, wow. I mean, is that a little over the top? And James is being very direct about this. And one of the things that was really interesting about this is um, did you, I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this. Did you know gold and silver don't corrode? That they, they don't rust? I didn't know that. I just don't have enough gold in my life, apparently. Um, <laughs> I got gold plates at the house. Uh, no but gold doesn't rust or corrode. And it's interesting because James says, your gold and silver have corroded. And well, that doesn't even make sense. Gold and silver don't corrode, so, so what does that mean? And I think one of the things James is trying to communicate uh, through this passage specifically, but especially in this last point, is that the things that we highly value are ultimately meaningless in this world. The things that are earthly, that we uh, point a high value to and gold would be one of those things. And gold feels very stable. If you're an investor, you understand that a lot of times if the market is fluctuating, sometimes people move money to precious metals to try to insulate or, uh, and even in ancient times they'd look at, at precious metals as, as solid and there's, there's no way this is gonna deteriorate in value and it's, it's perpetual and it's, you can count on it. But James is questioning this and he says, you know what, even the gold that you highly value is gonna ultimately corrode, it's gonna go away, it's not gonna be valuable. Did you know, um, side note with the Olympics going on, I read that the, IO, the International Olympic Committee, the, the gold medals aren't made of gold, they're made of uh, copper and silver, because it's cheaper, because they can't afford to, <laughs> to make real gold medals, because it'd be $17 million to give away gold medals at the Olympics every year, so they make them out of silver and copper. But even that, the, we still value gold very highly, right? What is James saying? James saying, no matter what you value in this world, there's a temporary uh, number to it. There's there's an amount of time that it will last and then it will decay ultimately, no matter what it is, even, even the very gold and silver that we think we need. This is what we have to understand. Everything, everything in our lives is temporary. Everything in our lives is temporary. Everything in our lives is temporary. Um, you know, the three Gs that we talked about, grain and garments and gold, uh, James makes it very clear, all these things are temporary. All these things can be taken from you, can corrode, can, can dry up, can pass away, all these things. And you go, well, Mel, those things are kind of shallow. I mean, there's other things that are really important that won't pass away. I mean, what about our health? If you don't have your health, you don't have anything, right? We've heard that before. And health is important. It really is. I'm trying to get healthier. I've been losing weight and working out and things like that, eating meadows less, right? That's hard. Thank you, brother. That's the most the Spirit has moved in this place in quite a while, right there. We go, what about our health? Isn't our health important? Absolutely, our health is important, but I've, I've got bad news for you. No matter how much you work out, no matter how much kale you eat, or tabbouleh or baba Ganoush, or whatever it is you're getting from the health food store, I got bad news for you. You are dying every day and so am I. No matter how much you push back against the ravages of time on our body, ultimately we lose. So if you put your hope in your health, you're gonna be disappointed. You go, well, Mel, what, what about our job? I've got a great job, man. I love my job and I invest myself there. Um, I, I got bad news for you. Jobs are temporary. You might think it's permanent because you've got the corner office because you've been there a long time because you have tenure, but I've got bad news. Jobs go away quickly at times. We've got a whole bunch of people here that work for uh, Cambria-Row. They had no idea that Cambria-Row, it was been around forever and all of a sudden it's not. We have people here that, that worked for Halliburton before Halliburton shut down. It seemed very stable, it seemed like there was no problems until it wasn't. If we put our hope in our jobs, we're gonna be disappointed. There's gonna be a day when our job is not there for us anymore. You okay, Mel? That, that's all very shallow. What about relationships? Relationships, that's where it's really at. And we talk about relationships a lot. We love relationships around here. It's one of the most important thing in our lives. But I'll tell you this, relationships will let you down. Every person in your life has the ability to disappoint you. And the chances are they probably will. That sounds really pessimistic, doesn't it? It does, but listen, this is my heart. Uh, My wife and I, uh, we've been married, it'll be 17 years next month we've been married, and it's a miracle that she has uh, been married to me for 17 years. Uh, We've been married 17 years next month, and we have a fantastic relationship. I'm so grateful for the relationship I have with my wife, and she really is my best friend. But I will tell you this, if she was my hope for health in a marriage or making my life complete or whole, if that is where I placed my hope, I would have been disappointed because my wife does not have the ability to complete me or make me whole in spite of what um, Hollywood tells us. Hollywood tells us that that one relationship and everything will just be perfect and we'll be running to each other in a meadow in slow motion, and right? That's not reality. If we're gonna be real, marriages work and it's hard and it's difficult, but it's good. But my wife's responsibility is not to complete me or make me whole. And if I put that responsibility on her, and if that's where I place my hope, I'm going to be disappointed. If I place my hope in my friendships and my relationships, even if I'm not betrayed, seasons change, people move, things happen. And if that's where I place my hope, I'm gonna be disappointed. In my life, i found that there's only one thing that I can, in which I can place my hope that I won't be disappointed. It's not my job, it's not the economy, it's not relationships, it's not the government, it is solely in Jesus Christ. And there are times that we place our hope and our trust in him, and we think we've been disappointed because we feel like God doesn't show up on time or God doesn't come through or God doesn't answer a prayer or God doesn't respond, and we think, God, you have disappointed me. But inevitably, he shows up and we realize that he never disappointed me. There's been times that I thought, God, if you really loved me, I would've gotten that job. And then I realized later, God, you love me so much, you didn't let me have that job. Does that make sense? God, if you love me, you'd let me find that spouse that I've been praying for. Maybe God's trying to spare you from the wrong spouse. Does that make sense? That's not even my notes, that's bonus coverage. So sometimes we think God has disappointed us, but he hasn't. He hasn't. God is the only one in which we can place our hope that we won't be disappointed. Matthew chapter six, there's a passage of scripture that you probably know, but I really like the way it's, It reads in the message version, so I'll read it to you out of the message, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Out of the message says, and this is Jesus talking from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't hoard treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. He says, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Another version says, for your treasure is there, your heart will be also. See, the richest people I know in my life aren't the people with the biggest bank accounts. They're not the people with the nicest cars. They're not the people with the biggest house. The richest people I know in my life are the people that have the healthiest relationship with Christ. They're the people that have the most joy. They're the people who have the most peace. They're the people who can lay their head down at night and rest well. They're the people that I walk away from and I think, man, I wanna be like them when I grow up. Because we have done the wrong thing by thinking and adopting the mindset of the world by th- thinking, man, the bigger your house, the more successful you are. The bigger your car, the nicer your car. The, 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 if you get the corner office, then you're gonna be successful. And we had defined success the wrong way. And What James is saying and Jesus is saying is that we need to redefine success. We need to redefine what it means to, to win. Because it's not about the things we accumulate. It's not about the things we, we build up. It really is about our relationship and where we're placing our hope. I'll move on. James chapter five, verse four, we're almost done. says this, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, there was this division between the landowners and the day laborers. And in ancient Palestine, day laborers, uh, they, they, at the end of a day, they would get paid for their work. But the problem was the rich landowners realized if they didn't pay the day laborers, they could save themselves some money. They could. They could pay them late, they could maybe not pay them at all. And so they were taking advantage because the day laborers had no recourse. And so that's why we see um, throughout the Old Testament, especially, laws requiring a fair treatment to day laborers, that you pay them their wage when they earn it because uh, it was it was a big deal and it was a problem, even among Christians at the time. And so what James is saying is, uh, the wages of the laborer who mowed our fields, he said, which you kept back, they're crying out to God. And the cries aren't, hey, God, this person did me wrong, you take care of them for me. Because that's the way we cry out sometimes, isn't it? When when somebody has wronged us, we go, God, they wronged us, you go take care of them. I mean, don't kill them, but maybe maim them, right? Like, in the name of Jesus. And that's not what these people were crying out for. Because see, these people couldn't feed their families. Most of these day laborers lived on the verge of starvation. They they couldn't afford to send anything back at all. They were just barely, barely eking out an existence. And so if they didn't get paid, they literally were not feeding their families. And so the cries that that were rising up to heaven to God were not cries of God, get even. They were cries of God, how am I gonna feed my family? And the injustice that was happening there was more than God could bear. And he was going to bring justice upon, uh, upon these landowners. It goes on to say, You have lived on luxury, uh, lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. And this goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. We see this theme throughout the book of James, but selfishness leads to all kinds of issues in our life. But it's specifically in James three sixteen, it says, For where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder of every vile practice. There's all kinds of mess in our lives whenever we live selfishly, whenever we live with a closed hand, when it's about what we can get instead of how we can give and bless and serve. So he says, that's one of the problems that we've lived in luxury and self-indulgence about making ourselves comfortable. He goes on to say, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Um, How many people eat bacon in here? Anybody eat bacon? Yes. That's what I need to start asking at the end of service instead of who wants to get saved, right? Like, who who likes bacon? Yes, I see that hand, I see that hand. Praise God. (laughs) The room went up, and the rest, I mean, everybody in the room raised their hand just about, except the unhappy people, so. um, Bacon's good. Comes from pigs. You know what you do with a pig? You fatten it up. And you do not name the pig that you're fattening up because some things are more important than pets, like bacon, right? So, (laughs) you fatten the pig up, and you're fattening the pig up for one purpose. It's for the slaughter. And this is what James says. He says to the people whose heart is focused only on what we can get, and what we can accumulate, and what we can have. He said, you don't even know this, but your heart is being fattened up. You're fattening yourself up for a slaughter you don't even know is coming. told you this was a tough one today. And this isn't a condemning word. James is trying to warn the church. He's trying to help them avert tragedy. And that's what I'm doing with you today. I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to warn myself to guard my heart. I'm trying to warn you to guard your heart, guard your intentions, because ultimately it leads to destruction. If we don't watch where our hearts are being taken and drawn, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. He's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus has died for all. He's paid that price. And it says, therefore, all have died. So when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we willingly lay down our lives. Our old self dies to take up new life in him. It says in verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, this is one of the the, the misideas or misunderstandings we have in church is that Jesus died so I can go to heaven. He died and lived again, was raised from the dead so that I get to go to heaven. And that's part of it because heaven is a great reward. I'm excited that someday we get to go to heaven. But that is not the total sum of what Jesus did and why he did it. He did it as we can see here in scripture, not just so we can go to heaven, but so that we might live for God and live for the sake of Christ so that my life will no longer be about me. And this is what I've realized. I have to live with an understanding in my life that my life was purchased with was a the price and is not my own. I am not the owner of my life any longer. That I am God's, that he can do with whatever he wants. That means my preferences, my comfort, and my happiness all belong to God, to do with whatever he wants. As I said earlier, the gospel is not a gospel of comfort, it's a gospel of suffering, unfortunately. So what I have to do is say, God, I wanna live my life in such a way that you can take it and use it however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it's not what I agree with, even even if it's hard, even if it's not what I prefer, I want what you want for my life. Romans chapter four, again, this is from the message version. I love the way this is written. In verse two, it says, if Abraham by what he did for God, got to, to, I'm sorry, if Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. I wanna stop there. What he's saying is, if Abraham could have been good enough to earn his way into heaven, he could have taken the credit. If he could work hard enough for God to go, okay, wow, I'm shocked, you did a great job, come on in. He said, Abraham could have taken credit for that, just like we could have. If we worked really hard and we could earn our way to heaven, we could get the glory for it. That's not how this thing works, is it? We are saved by grace through faith so that no man should boast. That's what Paul says. He goes on to say, but the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. I love that. The story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. I love movies. and I love a good story. And so many times in my life, I've imagined myself uh, as the star of my own movie, probably James Bond, <laughs> right? But don't you imagine yourself as the key character in your story? You're the hero. You're, 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 you're the, you're, I mean, you're the one the whole story's written about, right? It's your story. But this is what happens. When we become Christians, we lay down our story. We forfeit our story so that God can tell a better story, so that God can tell his story. See, uh, I've lived a lot of my life thinking I was the hero of my story, and I'm not. If I am, there's problems, because the real hero of my story is God. I'm not the one doing any of the saving, any of the rescuing. (laughs) I'm not the one um, answering prayers, doing it. That's not me, that's God. So what I have to understand is the story that I'm telling It's not about me, it's about God. It's a God story. That makes it easy for me to say, God, wherever you wanna take me, whatever you wanna do, however you wanna use me, whatever you ask, I'm gonna do my very best to give it to you. Because the story is not about me, it's about God. It's not about me being happy or comfortable. It's about God being happy. It's about God being pleased. When we can live our lives that way, it shifts everything. So my question to you today is, How are you using the things that God is giving you? How are you using your grain and your gold and your garments? How are you using your relationships? How are you using your job? How are you using the things you get in your hand to tell a better God story? Because if you're not telling a God story, you're still telling a story about yourself. That's not very compelling. But a God story will change everything. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much and I'm so grateful that you invite us to be part of your story, that you love us and you care for us. And at the end of the day, it's not about what you can take from us, but it's about what you can give to us. It's not about what you can get from us, but what you can do for us. So God, I pray today, um, we would have that heart. The Lord, we would choose to let you use every aspect of our life for your glory. Lord, let our lives not be about us, but let it be about you. God, I pray that um, in this place, you'd speak to us in the specific ways we need to hear from you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to convict each of us about the areas that you wanna convict us in. Lord, speak to us and challenge us in the ways we need to be challenged. And God, I pray that we'd walk out of here differently than the way we came in. Lord, I pray that our sole purpose and focus would be to tell your story in a way that can bring you glory. or let it not be about us, but let it be about you. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask if you're here today and you say, Mel, um, I've been telling a story about me my whole life. My life has been about me. It's not about God. I've been selfish. I've been focused on me and I see, ultimately, that ends in destruction. I don't wanna live my life that way. If you're here today and you say, "I, I want my life to be about Christ. I want God to tell a great story through me. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you where you are. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna surrender control. I'm tired of living the life the way I've been living it. I need need to make Jesus Lord of my life. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to put your hand up real high where I can see that and pray with you? Thank you. Two hands here in the center section. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my right. Praise God. That's awesome. Thank you up in the balcony. I see you, thank you, sir. Who else? Join these and say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you so much. Down here, I see you. Thank you over here on my left by the camera. Praise God. Thank you here in the center section, man. Praise the Lord, yeah. Awesome, just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these? Say, that's me. Thank you, sir, on my right over here. Praise the Lord. want everybody in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this really simple prayer after me. Say this prayer out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sin on the cross. Today, I am yours. Take my life and use it for your glory. I'm never going back to my old ways and my old life. Today, I am yours. Tell a God story through me. In Jesus' name, amen.